Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. May I have a seat? I don't know about you, but sometimes certain songs just hit you, and I was yelling at Brian earlier that don't pick that one before a sermon. That always gets to me, and I was just thinking about just um, how undeserving I am of his grace, and even to um, be here, being able to preach the word to you and how a responsibility that is, but that he would call me to do that. Just like, just don't ever take it for granted how much God loves us. Amen? That's not part of the sermon, so that's, that's free, okay? Um, we're in this uh, series called Warfare, looking at the armor of God, right? And so I, I wanted to ask you a question. If you were in a, in a fight, right, and your enemy had one of these babies, just don't want to destroy anything, right? And, uh, and they, they're coming at you, and, and here's it's kind of the weird rule, okay, that, that if you knew they were going to get one shot at you, okay, and you weren't going to be able to defend yourself from that shot, what part of your body would you choose? You can only choose one piece of armor. What would you choose? What would you cover? The shoes? <laughs> it's got to be the shoes. At least you remember that. Anybody else? The head, right? But the shoes are good too, right? And, and I think of that because, like, they, they might. They could probably kill you here, but you already got your breastplate on, right? Righteousness, right? Anything else, it would hurt badly and cause some damage. But if they hit you here, you're in trouble. And so we, we think that way when we think of that helmet of salvation. We're going to see, boy, this thing, thanks to Elaine, who... Uh, uh, actually, let me borrow this. Um, she actually saw what I was going to use. And <laughs> she said, it's not going to get it done, Pastor Jamie. Uh, so some of our teens who remember BBS way back, this was uh, Sir Neil Down, if you remember him. He left this. And uh, so we'll use this, even though it's much heavier. And, uh, but this, besides the front, it's going to look, I'll show you what a picture in the Roman helmet actually looked like in a bit. But this sort of looks a lot like it. And it's, it's strong, right? It's that helmet of salvation. And so that's what we want to look at today. Not just the helmet of salvation and what that is, but how it protects us from the enemy. What does the enemy try to do that this will protect you from, right? So let's, uh, before we go to the word, let's pray together. Lord, we think of this helmet and God, I pray that it would be a uh, picture in our mind right now and as we leave here and, and beyond this week and in our lives that, Lord, we know the enemy attacks and and, and the victory is yours, but here we are in this, this war, and, and Lord, you've given us this armor, and I pray that we would put it on, that we would equip uh, ourselves in the armor that you provide. It's your armor, and especially today, God, the helmet of salvation. We would revel in what that means. The enemy wants to cast doubts, and that we would put on this helmet. And Lord, for those who are with us online or with us in this room who have never put it on before, that this would be the first day that, that they would just trust Christ and put on the helmet of salvation. I just thank you for your, your grace that we can even be here and worship you and sit and just revel in, the, in the, the beautiful truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, so I know it's not much of a mystery where we are, but uh, if you need to know, it's in uh, Ephesians 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you, too. Uh, but it's always good to, to follow along. And remember, we've been in this now, uh, this is week five, and uh, 
Uh, so we've, we've been kind of going back to this. And, but um, before we get to the, the helmet, context is everything, right? We've got to remember what the context is. And, and Paul wrote this letter to a church of people he was very familiar with in Ephesus, a church there. He spent a lot of time with them. He's now in a Roman prison, and he's written most of the letter we know as Ephesians, and he gets to this final section where he's been telling them to walk the Christian life. But now he's going to remind them, hey, you have a spiritual enemy because God has a spiritual enemy, and so how do you stand firm when he attacks, right? And so if you remember, we'll start in uh, verse 11. He says, put on then the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Right? So then we know the schemes, he's going to trick you. Right? Very rarely does the devil come up to you and say, hey, I'm the devil, I'm going to beat you up. Right? He lures you into doubts and footholds in your life. And, and so that's where the battle is. We have to be aware. Never scared, the victory is in Christ, but aware that it exists. Right? And, and so he's not alone. He has a whole uh, force of fallen angels that are demonic. And he says this, Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Right? So, so we live in this time of darkness. It's what we call the already not yet. The victory is sure in Christ, right? But there's this not yet, not yet. And so there's this, this war because the enemy is allowed to, to some degree fight and hate God's people, hate the gospel, hate God himself and his promises. And so we, we're in this, this spot knowing the victory is secure, but still there's a battle going around, a spiritual all around us, a spiritual battle. And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand any evil day, having done all to stand firm. And then we had the first item that we talked about. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And then, secondly, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then there's this third. Someone loved those shoes, right? And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And, and, and notice those first three are things that are fastened onto your body. And these last three are things that you pick up, right? So we, we saw last week. Said, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then fifth, right, that you also take up or take the helmet of salvation. The, the, the helmet's heavy, right? You didn't wear it everywhere you went, right? You kind of carried it around with you. Sort of like a, if you watch an NFL game, right, they, they rarely are walking around the sidelines with their helmets on. They're kind of uncomfortable. They take them off. But then if they're going to run into the game without their helmet on, someone's going to stop and put your helmet on, right? Even more so is the soldier. Put that thing on and don't go into battle without it, right? So now I, I've mentioned throughout this series that Paul borrowed this whole armor of God language from Isaiah in the Old Testament. And I just want to briefly show you how familiar this might look. It comes from Isaiah chapter 59. And again, the context is his people, God's people, are feeling like their sin had finally just broken the heart of God too much. God's like, there's no one that they can, they, you know, no way they can be saved. And, and, and Isaiah prophesies to them God's perspective as he sees that no man can save him. So he actually dons the armor himself and saves his people. Right, watch and some of this language will be familiar to you. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede, that his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. 
Sound familiar? Right? The whole armor of God. And so God said no one could intercede, so he has to do that. So, so yeah, he saved Israel, right? But this is all pointing to a future time when God in the flesh, Jesus, would intercede and save, right? And so now, Christians who are in Christ, right, you, you have the ability to put on the whole armor of God. And as we've said, this is not like a video game. I mean, some of our younger people will know, like video games, they all basically uh, work this way. You start out a certain way, and as you go, you earn more weapons or tools or something, right? For those of you who are old school like me, Mario, right? And he started out as a little guy, and then he gets, becomes a big guy, and then he has things, and he can shoot and do all kinds of cool things as you go. That's not how this works. You could be a Christian for five minutes, and you have access to the whole armor of God. It's not like, oh, I won the shield. Now I can use my shield. No, no, no. You have all of it. All you need to do by faith is put it on. Just put it on. And so this week, we have in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. And so I, 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 I um, promise you I'd show you. That was actually discovered in archaeology. It's an actual Roman soldier's helmet. In AD 37, Claudius became emperor. And for whatever reason, see, it used to be just really the top cap, but he, he extended it. Sort of, again, like NFL helmets. They, you see some of the old things are like these leather things on their head, and now they're like fortresses, right? And, and he actually added the, the cheek, they would hang around over the cheek, and the, the back piece that would, that would fit over the shoulders. And so I was going to say, this is a little bit different, but similar, right? So it's, it's heavy. You, you, that's why you, maybe you see why they had armor bearer. Take my shield, take my helmet, right? But when the fight is on, put it on. And, and so Paul says, this for the Christian is salvation, right? The helmet of salvation. And so, um, fully honest with you this week, like sometimes um, you study the, the scripture that you're going to be preaching on, and, and, and sometimes, man, it just comes. The outline, boom, 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 that's what God wants, boom, right? That's, sometimes it's a wrestling match. And it's like, all right, salvation, it's so big, there's so much to it. What God do you want your people to hear? Like what? And so it was like I wrote out some outlines, scrapped them. Another one scrapped. Right. All Thursday I was so frustrated. Right. And uh, sat down with Pastor Bob, got his feedback, and, and and just Friday morning as I was praying, God just laid these four things, and and very specifically, what does the helmet of salvation protect you from that the enemy is trying to attack you? And the first is. Uh, and there could be more than these, but these are what God gave me. So hopefully these will help. That the enemy wants us to doubt God's grace in salvation, right? God's grace, the helmet of salvation, God's grace. Um, same letter, but early, earlier in our, uh, what we call chapter two. Paul didn't write the chapters, but we put them in later. Um, and, and it was chapter two. And if you have any kind of church background, maybe you've even memorized this. If not, great one to memorize, right? Specifically because memorizing a scripture like this will help you to put on the helmet of salvation. But this is the same letter. Paul has talked about salvation, but he says this. For by grace you have been saved, so salvation, through your faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so grace, as we say all the time here, unearned, unmerited gift, right? If you've earned it, it's a wage. You deserve it. A gift undeserved. Very different thing. It says you can't boast about it. You didn't save yourself. You have salvation. All you did was believe. That's all we can ever do by faith. And why I think 
the, the enemy tries to, to, to cast doubts on this. Like, if you look at the evidence throughout church history, like, any time the church gets it messed up or, or there's a cult that, that twists biblical Christianity, what do they do? They add works to salvation. Always. Right? Just look through. It's like, oh, yeah. Like, there's more to it than just the cross. In fact, the cross gets pushed aside. And it's about how much you pray, how much you go to church, how much you do this, work off your sin, pay your penance, do all that. Right? Martin Luther, when he started the Reformation, was one of his biggest things. Like, he was always so frustrated because he was never measuring up. And finally, he really read for the first time, like really read and saw Romans, and he said, what is this grace? <laughs> it's full in the New Testament. And, and, he, and he realized, wait a minute, I don't co-author my salvation with Christ, but the enemy wants you to, to think that. You know why? Because if you start thinking, okay, it's me and Jesus. <laughs> Nobody knows you more than you, right? Like, who, who knows what you've done in your life more than you? Nobody. So here's what happens. All right, it's me and Jesus, right? And then I roll out the scroll, and it should be a lot longer than this. Right? It should go out beyond that, right? But written on here is all the stuff I've done, right? And I know it more than you. Remember how you bullied, right? And that's, what, and that's what the enemy does, right? Oh, you need to earn your salvation, but you bullied that kid in fifth grade. Remember what you said? You brought that person to tears in high school. You remember that, Jamie? Like just last week, are you kidding me? You're a pastor and you were thinking like that? Right? On and on it goes. And so now, like, that's what the enemy wants you to doubt. And, not, and so doubt the grace, which means, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was all him. All I did was put my faith in him. And, right, what does the Bible teach us? It teaches us that this record, right, of sin was put on the cross of Calvary. Right? Nailed there. And, they, and it says, he said, it's finished. It's finished. Right? So, so all of it's put on Christ. When he's buried, this was buried with him. Right? But the enemy wants you to doubt that. Right? He wants you to say, oh, it's, it's me and Jesus and I'm a complete failure. Right? And give up. But the more we understand grace, the more beautiful, rich grace, the more we realize it is finished. It's finished. Right? When we, that's why we love to sing songs even today like that. I think it was last week or the week before we sang a song that is uh, uh, often we sing. And it's by City of Light. Um, and, and here's just some of the, the lyrics. Though the war appeared as lost, Christ had triumphed over evil. It was finished upon the cross. There is no more guilt to carry. It was finished upon the cross. Free from every plan of darkness, free to live and free to love. Death is dead and Christ is risen. It was finished upon the cross. Onward to eternal glory, to my Savior and my God. I rejoice in Jesus' victory. It was finished upon that cross. Right? Or, or when we sing Chris Tomlin, you know, Jesus, Son of God, and we say, the cross is enough. Sometimes I sing a song like that, and I'll be back there, right? And like, like I feel, I don't know about you, but I just feel the emotion of God's grace well up where I feel like I can't even sing. But sometimes I just put up my hands. I just, I just have to sing because here's what I believe I'm doing is as the enemy is saying, you're not enough, you're not worth it, you can't have it. I'm singing in the face of the enemy. It's finished upon that cross. It's done the cross is enough, and I will not doubt that salvation. And that, when you do that, 
you preach that to yourself, you sing that in church or with your family or wherever you, you are donning the helmet of salvation and saying, no, 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 it was finished. I will never doubt God's grace. I didn't earn it. He did. And it's finished upon that cross. That's donning salvation. That's donning the helmet of salvation. And, 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 and the enemy, if you're not careful, he's going to get you to doubt it, think that you have to earn it. Nothing's more frustrating than that. I also think the second thing the enemy wants us to doubt uh, in, in, in don the, the helmet of salvation is he wants us to doubt God's love. Doesn't he? How often have you wondered, does God really love me? Like a struggle happens in my life. I'm in grief or in pain. Does God really, right? The enemy loves that. He doesn't love you, barrage after barrage. God, why would he love you? Why would he let that happen in your life? Clearly he doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would do something different. Right? And I, I think of what Jesus said to a religious leader named Nicodemus. and Again, a pretty familiar scripture. There's a reason why these are so familiar. They don the helmet of salvation. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably saw this in an NFL field somewhere, right? John 3, 16. Right? It says, this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved you, he gave you a son. Imagine a, a young woman who loves God and she tries to follow Jesus. And her brother, who also loves God and tries to follow Jesus, gets really sick. She begins to just pray and pray, ask Jesus for help, and he dies. It's hard. Does God really love me? Why would he let that happen? That actually happened. John chapter 11. Except it was two. They were sisters. They were Mary and Martha, and their brother's name was Lazarus. Ever heard of them? They, they love Jesus. They followed Jesus, Right? And, and when he got sick, they called for him. Come, you can, you can do this. You can heal him. You can heal him. And then he died. Right? And we read, they don't even know, we read that Jesus specifically delayed so he could, uh, th that more glory to God could happen, right? But they don't know that. When he, they gave him an earful when he came to town. If you had only been here, right? You see, the enemy will use that. Oh, he doesn't love you. Why would you follow him? Maybe you've prayed in a cold marriage, like, and it's just not changing. Why don't you love me, God? Or maybe when you were younger and, and, and you had an alcoholic parent, and all you got was abuse, and you just prayed for it to stop, and it didn't. How could God love you? Or you got sick, or someone you care about got sick. Like all of these struggles, the enemy says, see, he doesn't love you. And yet we remember what Jesus said, and again we gaze upon the cross. How could we say God doesn't love me? When the enemy casts doubts about that, you can, you can look at the cross and say, no, 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 no. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, and I'm remembering what happened there. Beaten, rejected, spit on, ridiculed, mocked, nailed, crown of thorns, blood, the most intense suffering you could ever be. Devil, you were there. You saw it. Not only that, it wasn't even the worst. 
You saw when the darkness descended for three hours, you know what happened there. That in that darkness, he was drinking every drop of God's wrath that was supposed to be for me. He was drinking it and in so doing, screaming to the world, I love you. That's the helmet of salvation. And so whenever you're feeling, how could God love me? You gaze again upon the cross and what happened there. And you realize that whatever that struggle is, whatever dark place that is, that God is doing something even more glorious in it. And you trust him. And you put on your helmet of faith. And you don't let a foothold from the enemy. That's the helmet of salvation. The third thing, the enemy wants us to doubt God's power to save. It's one thing, right? Oh, he loves you, but to love someone. But what if you don't have the power or strength to save someone? You remember the story I've told before, it's a sobering one, but it really proves this point, that a grandmother was watching her toddler grandson. We don't really know what happened. We just know she must have lost her attention on him for a little bit, and he ended up in the swimming pool. He couldn't swim. And she said, no, she, there's no one on the planet she loved more than her grandson. So she dove in after him. And they were both found dead in the pool because she couldn't swim either. Right? You can love someone, but can you save them? You can love someone, but can you save them? So the enemy will say, he can't. It's not true. I hear all the time, and I bet you do too, right, that, that this, this whole thing, oh, the Bible. I mean, it was written by men hundreds of years after it happened, and it's been changed over the years so many different times, we can't possibly know what really happened. Anyone here ever heard that? Oh, it's so common, and it drives me insane because it's just all you have to read is one chapter out of a book and realize, right? Like, but the enemy does that. No, 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 don't check it. It's, there's, it's not accurate. It's like if we throw the scriptures out, historically reliable, we throw everything from antiquity out. Did you know that? Everything. There's nothing you learn in history class that is history if you throw the Bible out. It's that accurate. We have that many measurements and proofs in place, but nobody ever cares. No, no, it's not true. And they just make stuff up. And it's like, but that's the enemy, because if you read it and start believing it, wow, your life might change. Or, or, or it's really uh, in vogue now to, to come out public with your big story about how you no longer believe in Jesus, even though you were never very public about believing him in the first place. And it's like always an emotional argument of what God didn't do for me or something. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But listen, if you hear that, the enemy says, yeah, you should doubt too. What has he done for you lately, right? Foothold foothold. you got to put on your helmet of salvation. you got to put on your helmet of salvation because if not, you're going to start, oh, maybe, maybe, and here's what the enemy does with, with, with this one, right? Is, is, is when, when you start doubting that he has the power to save you and the power to satisfy you, right, that, that, that the enemy will say, come over here. This will save you. This will satisfy you. And you begin to believe it. Over the years as a pastor now, I can't tell you how many times, especially young adults, both men and women, they, they start coming to church, they start kind of tasting the goodness of God. They're not there yet, right? But you see it, you see it starting to click, and then they disappear. It's almost always a relationship, a new boyfriend, girlfriend. And it's like, oh, I don't need Jesus, I have you. Listen, don't ever do that to anybody I don't care how much they love you and cherish you, they can't be Jesus. They do not have the power to save you or satisfy your soul. But that will happen. Or maybe it's money. The enemy says, oh, if you just have enough money. Right, come on, you felt that pull I have. If I just have enough money in my savings account, I don't need a bunch of stuff. I just need to know it's there to save me. That's what the enemy does. 
or your job, if you just have success, or one of the biggest ones is how people see me, my reputation. That'll save me. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, that happened to them. Satan influenced them. If you remember their story, everyone in the early church was selling property, right? Like so many people, and bringing the whole thing to the apostles. And it was an exciting time, and they looked and they said, yeah, we want to look like them. So they sold property, they gave some of it, and they said they gave all of it, right? And God killed them. Don't ask. We'll get into that in some other sermon, some other day, all right? But here's the thing. I have no doubt. I mean, maybe I should, but I feel like that, that if they had just said, hey, we sold this, and God led us to give a piece of it to the church, it would have been fine. It wasn't a lie. Like, if you come to me and say, hey, I sold $100,000 worth of stock, and God's really leading me to give 25000 of it to the church, I wouldn't be like, are you kidding me? That's it? Where's the rest of it? Right? No, I wouldn't do that, because God's called you. That's great. That's generous. But what they were so interested in wasn't Jesus and the cause of Christ. It was how you see me and perceive me. We have our own modern-day version of that. How many clicks do I have? How many follows do I have? What, what do I look like? How do I fit in? And it will save me if I just fit in, and it never does. But that's the enemy. Come on over here. Look for this. Always saying right, that, that you need this plus or just this instead of. And so in March, coming up, we're going to have a baptism. Those who get baptized, I believe that's one of the things they're doing. They're putting on the helmet of salvation. And they're saying, no more is it Jesus and something else. I'm not going to be afraid of what people think of me. I'm not going to be afraid of what it means. I'm just going to say, I identify with the salvation and the rich hope and glory of Jesus Christ. And that's it. Maybe you need to do that. And just give up. Well, see, this is why I can't give it up. And just say, I will follow Christ, him alone. I will not let the enemy capture that anymore or try to barrage me. I'm putting on the helmet. Last thing that I want to leave you with is that I think the enemy wants us to doubt our hope in salvation. Because salvation is not just present. Being a Christian isn't just today. It's actually, it affects today, but it's looking to the future, right? And, and again, I'm going to give you the same letter. This goes all the way back to what we see as chapter 1. And there's a lot here that I'm not going to cover. I just want you to see written all over this the hope of salvation, right? In him, Paul wrote, same letter, Ephesians, we have obtained an inheritance. What's that? That's future, right? You're going to get it. You know you're getting it. You just don't have it yet. Right? The already not yet. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, right, the helmet of salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he finishes the thought this way. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So that's a lot, but I just want you to see what he's saying there, right, is you have this glorious inheritance because of your salvation in Christ. And, 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 and you can see it, you might even be able to taste it, but it's just not all here yet, right? But it's coming. And it's guaranteed for you by the Holy Spirit. You cannot lose what was never yours to gain in the first place. You have it sealed by the Spirit himself, by God himself, right? And so, so what, what I think the enemy tries to do is to get us to stop looking at the future and look at the here and now and say, no, 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 there's no hope for future. There's no inheritance, right? You need to have this. And, and it creates jealousy and rivalry. Oh, he has a better marriage than me. She has more money than me. 
they have a better career than me. Their business is more successful than me. Right? They're a better athlete than me. They're better this than me. I need to have, right? Or I need more comforts. I need more pleasures. And the enemy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep focused on those things and stop looking up at hope. The helmet of salvation reminds us of the inheritance. And so we haven't done this this whole, uh, this whole series, so come on. The rope of hope. Most of you have seen this, but if not, this represents your life. And you can, you can tell it goes beyond the organ there, so, so there's no end. Because this isn't just your life on earth. Your life has no end. You, you are made in the image of God. Your soul is everlasting. All right? And so this green tape is this life. This is where the enemy says, focus. Focus here. Right? Focus here. What don't you have? What do you deserve? What is, right? And, 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 and you're playing around with this. When God says, man, salvation has won you this. And so you look to this, you say, fine, I get a vacation or I get something good, I got a promotion. Oh, that's great. Big deal. This is what I live for. This is the hope that I cling to. Right? It's like what, what C.S. Lewis, we bring up all the time what he said about this. Right? He's a little kid playing with little dirty mud piles in the, in the alley. Right? And, and, and was so angry when someone took him away until he found where they brought him. They brought him to a huge seashore full of clean sand. And Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased with the trinkets and pleasures of this world, little, little dirty sand piles when we have a holiday at the sea that awaits us. And so the enemy's going to want you to forget all that. But when you don the helmet and you say, no, 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 salvation, there's an inheritance awaiting for me, it changes everything. I don't need to be jealous. I don't need to have that. I don't need to succeed in all that. I'll do my best, but you know what? I'm putting on my helmet of salvation, and I have the inheritance coming. Right? We put on our helmets and we say, Lord God, we're going to remember. We're going to remember what that cross means. Your grace, your power to save, your love for us, and the hope that we'll fix our eyes on, unwavering, as we just sang, the unwavering hope of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we pray. We pray because the enemy attacks even now. Lord, I know that there's just some who are with us. Maybe it's just one is attacking. That's not true. Don't listen to him. That's not true for you. What you've done, you can't be saved. All those lies from the pit of hell we reject in the name of Jesus Christ. We sing in the face of the enemy. And come what may, we sing the cross is enough. It is finished upon that cross. We revel in your grace this morning. Oh, Lord, if there's someone who's just never believed because they just didn't think it possible that you could save them, today you'd open their eyes for the first time they put on their helmet of salvation and never take it off. Lord, for the rest of us who are believers that we might put on our helmets today, tomorrow, every day as this warfare, as the enemy tries to, to say God doesn't love you, you're not in his family, you're not a child of God, that we would just look again to you and your grace, your mercy, and what happened on that cross. Give us the reminder, not just when we're in church, but tomorrow in traffic or at home or at work or wherever we might find ourselves, that we'd put on our helmet of salvation. We have the hope of Christ. Thank you, God. Protect us from the enemy. It's in Jesus' glorious and precious name we pray. Amen. Let's sing the glorious hope of Christ.